This is a BCR extra in our continuing conversations with the defendants of the Kings Bay Plowshares 7. Martha Hennessy and Carmen Trotta, along with five other Catholic workers, have been found guilty of trespassing and destroying government property by a federal court in Brunswick, Georgia. I sat down with Carmen and Martha as they await the verdict phase of the trial in the cozy library of the Catholic Workers' Mary House in the Bowery to talk about the trial, their feelings about justice in the United States, and we were joined by Anthony Donovan, who witnessed the four-day trial. And Carmen, if I could just get a, a quick kind of a sound check so I can... Oh, I do <laughs> oh, <you're hot>. love <laughs> you you're... with all my heart. Hey, Elvis. <laughs> Sounds good. Just hear it over the headset. <laughs> I'm going to start kind of maybe an unusual question. Um, it, may, it may be something I should ask later, but um, just to get warmed up... Uh, Martha and Carmen, why did you and six others of you break into the Naval Submarine Base at St. Mary's, Georgia, in April 2018? What did you hope to accomplish? To expose the illegality of the weapons maintained and stored there with intentions to use them. Yeah, to give the general populace some sense that there is, they are facing an existential threat. Um, an imminent and existential threat. It could happen at any moment, and given the very fraught atmosphere of global politics, um, you know, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists have us at two minutes to midnight. Uh, that's the closest we've ever been. So you did this because there's a dire threat to the world, yeah, and the, you felt this was a way of... The base of Kings Bay, Georgia, has about um, one quarter of America's deployed u nuclear arsenal there. Um, if that one uh, naval base uh, were to shoot off all of its nuclear weapons, um, it would end life as we know it on the planet. It might kill all large mammal life. It is even possible, uh, given the effects of a nuclear winter, uh, that it would kill all life on the planet. Sounds like a good argument to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty compelling for all of us to... Right, right. Um, let's talk about the trial in Brunswick, Georgia, in the, in, in the federal court. Um, start with the jurors. Who, 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 I mean, you saw the jurors. There were 12 good men and women. Um, who, I mean, Our peers. Can we go back peers? just a, a step further? Yes, please do. Um, because it wasn't until three days before the trial that we had any sense of what the trial was going to be look like. Mm -hmm. And that was very much the um, project of the judge, uh, Judge Lisa Woods, who runs a very tight ship. And indeed she does. Um, but... It is very difficult to have to prepare an opening statement or a closing statement to go through your testimony um, and even to understand what motions will and will not be accepted by the court. So what is the outline of the trial that we got? We didn't get it until, I mean, it could have been a month in advance. Because they knew. They knew how they were going to run this. Yes. Sure. I yeah. would, yes, I would imagine so. Right. But it, it, it did not, it was... And initially, when we got down there, we, we thought we might have five days, um, but there were clashes between the uh, government and our lawyers and the defense, and, and it led to a situation where it was literally three days before the trial that we were finally given to understand 
uh, what the substance of the trial, what the structure of the trial would be like. Right. So she released that Friday night at 10 p.m. It's very controlling. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's piling the deck so that uh, you 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 win you win the game, which is not what a court should be about winning and, and losing a game. I, I am going to get to that. And if and if, if my order of questions really doesn't fulfill your agenda, please you know we can we can we could change it up. Okay. Uh, but I I was curious um, about the jurors. Uh, those people that were judging you, um, did you get a sense of who they were? Did you, uh, you you weren't there when they were choosing the jurors? I assume. Yes, yes, we went you through were. the jury selection process, which oh. was very fascinating. Tell, started, t- t- tell us about that. We started out with uh, seventy-three people, and it had to get down to twelve people. Mm-hmm. And one of the very first questions she asked the jury pool was, and this is Judge Wood. Judge Lisa Godby Wood, mm-hmm. Brunswick Federal District Court. Mm-hmm. She asked the question, how many of you feel that these defendants are guilty? And I would say at least a third raised their hands. So they were eliminated immediately. You know, we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Right, right. And there was no sense there what, they, what these people who raised their hands, what they thought guilt meant. Yeah. Well, it was like a large percentage of them actually worked on the base um, or knew people that worked on the base and realized that the entire economy down there is dominated by that base. Um, and the, as I've been given to understand, the base also does very good PR in terms of even mm-hmm. giving the locals, the elderly, um, certain benefits. If people fall, things like that, they can be the first responders. It, I mean, it, may, it, it, it gives me thought that usually in a case like that where you have a prejudiced jury, you move the venue someplace else. We didn't that was ask never for asked. that. Yeah. And I think it was, I mean, it's part of, you know, the notion of us, you can get to it later, wearing GoPro cameras and filming what we did. Uh, nothing that we were doing was uh, going to be, did we want to be um, hidden from the public? Mm-hmm. And we were willing to accept basically whoever that public was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I heard uh, or I read, maybe it was Wood, Judge Wood said um, to the jurors, the potential jurors, um, you know, which of you have any, you know, feelings about nuclear armament? Can you talk about that and the response to that? Yes, that question was asked. How many of you have strong feelings either for or against nuclear weapons? Uh-huh. And I don't know that anyone raised their hand. Right. Which, again, indicates what? And it could indicate I don't know anything about it. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm ignorant about it. Um, I, I, have no, I have no opinion whatsoever. Um, I thought it was very interesting, and maybe you can respond to this because I was thinking about it, how the case seemed to be resting on solely on your um, guilt or innocence in destroying property and, um, and trespassing. And uh, there, was, there was another tre- trepidation of, of government property or something like that. Depredation. Uh, de- de- degradation. Of, Depredation. Uh, Depredation, which is, I guess, a legal term. But mainly destroying government property, right? Um, so why would she even ask that question about, you know, what is your opinion about nuclear, uh, you know, nuclear war, nuclear armament? Well, the base, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with it. The base commander would neither confirm nor deny the presence of nuclear weapons on the base. And the judge at one point did say, we're not contesting the lethality of nuclear weapons. So, I mean, the question is there. And... I think she asked it to try and appear to be, you know, honest and fair. Yeah, yeah. I don't personally want to, uh, 
I don't feel like it was a rigged trial. It was a carefully constructed trial. Um, and I don't, so it was a holdover in some ways from the RIFRA defense, which we were denied, that we were in fact allowed uh, in court to talk about nuclear weapons. Um, and we did. So it's not as though the jury did not hear um, some of what we were saying about nuclear weapons. It's not like they allowed expert witnesses who, who could really blow the jury away. And who you had available. Absolutely, yes. sure. We had any number of them would have come if they'd been given notice that they could speak before a jury, or even if they could speak before the court in the absence of a jury, they would have come. So. Yeah, I, um, I mean, in the, in the reading I've had, and it's very, I mean, you, you, you were there, um, Anthony Donovan is with us, and he was also there as an observer, and we'll talk to him when we're, when we're you know, finished with, with, with you two. Um, but it's, you said it was a highly controlled courtroom. Can I posit it was highly controlled to come with a certain outcome? That yes. there was an outcome that was determined before you even started? Absolutely. That's how it that occurs sounds with to every me. one of these trials. Yeah, and you're talking about every one of these trials of plowshares trials. Correct. Right, which usually, and I want to get to that, usually end up in guilty verdicts and some time served. Um, so, you, so Carmen, you said it didn't seem rigged, but it was controlled. I mean, that, that seems like parsing terms. It, I didn't, listen, there were people on the jury who should have heard enough um, you know, is it simply a matter that the jury wanted to get it over in a day and the trial went long enough that we were near the we were in the second part of the day? And if they would have argued among themselves, they would have had to come back tomorrow. Remember, jurors are told, and I did not know this. I did not know this until it happened at my own trial. But they are told when they leave that they must come, they must come back with a unanimous verdict. Therefore, if there was someone that had reservations or some few that had reservations and tried to bring them up, and that it was late in the day, and nobody really uh, was terribly concerned about nuclear weapons, um, you could imagine them just buckling and saying, listen, let's, let's get it over with now. How long did it take for the verdict to come in once the Less jurors... than two hours. That's, so um, obviously you knew when they had two hours it wasn't going to be good. Yes, and there were some questions that the jury asked of us through the judge that led us to believe what the outcome would be. Can you share what they asked? Well, the last question that I remember was the jury was asking about if Liz McAllister, an old woman, was had to be helped to get through the fence, could, would she have to be held res fully responsible for the action on par with the others who actually cut the fence? Mm -hmm. And the judge's response? The, judge, the judge's response was to look at the instructions that she had previously given them. So there was no real response. Okay. Prior to that, someone had asked, so if three people rob a gank and one guy shoots the cop, um, are, all th are, are the other two responsible for that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. So their mindset, I mean, from those, those questions had to do with property had to do with uh, the destruction of property, which is not what you were about. Um, but let's look, let's, let's, let's get um, to, to the question. I mean, you, you, don't see, you didn't seem to have a chance to make your arguments. So maybe we can make the arguments here um, so that it's on the record. I know you've made the arguments before, um, but would you mind if we, if we went through what you, might, what you could have said 
Um, for instance, the one thing that you weren't allowed, and this was the pre-trial um, hearing, whether or not you could uh, use the RIFRA defense, uh, the, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and Judge Wood said, no, you can't. So based on your beliefs, your deep-held beliefs, you were doing the right thing, um, right? That's RIFRA. Mm -hmm. Yes, and once again, you should know that we were able to speak about our faith-based motivation, which mm -hmm. is one of the reasons I say the judge is careful. It was a controlled trial. I don't want to say it was a rigged trial. The jury had enough. The jury had heard enough um, that, they, that, in my mind, someone should have locked down and been willing to hang the jury. They probably didn't know that they had that capacity. Most jurors don't. Um, but that, that, could, that could have happened, and, you know, I wish it would have happened. And Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it also seems, I, I don't know, Carmen, you, just, you seem to be very forgiving of, of, of this trial. It, it, it angers me that, uh, that um, you, you all could not, I mean, you say you made the argument, but it didn't, from my reading, it's like you didn't really get to nail it down. No, of course not. The judge was very ingenious in terms of how she orchestrated the entire thing, um, who she interrupted, when they interrupt, when she interrupted them, and how she interrupted them was uh, very uh, telling in terms of how she controlled the content of what was heard in that courtroom. I believe that she gave us enough uh, of a leash to make us feel good about saying what we wanted to say about the reasons we um, did the action and the dangers of the nuclear weapons. I was allowed to read paragraph five out of our indictment that touches upon the Nuremberg principles. But any time truth was spoken in that courtroom, she would follow it up with looking at the jurors and saying, you do not need to take into consideration what they are saying. It has nothing to do with the charges um, posted against them. Well. Well. And Martha was able to get away with that. Earlier in the trial, when Judge Lisa Wood was, was sifting things um, you know, more narrowly, mm -hmm. uh, Claire Grady said that we were um, upholding the supreme law of the land, which is a reference to um, Article 6, Section 2 of the Constitution, which is the incorporation of international law. The, the, if I'm correct, the jury was... The jury was out. When the jury went out, they weren't asked to leave the room just because of that. But when they were out, she was reprimanded for raising that. And so she came, uh, you know, too close to an international law defense. On the other hand, because it was in evidence, because we had brought the indictment to the base, Martha was allowed to read a paragraph of it that again cites international law. And that flew. And, and I it was, was later first, in the trial. I was the first to testify, and that was partly why it got through too, perhaps. But you, you, you two, I'm sure you know that when you make an argument, because you, you've been making an argument for peace your whole life, or as long as you've been Catholic workers, is that arguments require time to kind of build the argument to, because you have a very complex argument here. It's simple in a way, but it's also complex. And a juror is not going to get it with just reading one paragraph. And I get you, yeah. you, you kind of knew that. I mean, your yes. hands were tied. Yes. Yeah. The yeah. jury, the jury, could not possibly comprehend what was at stake and what was being um, covered in this trial, and and that's pretty intentional to yeah. not give them enough time to process. The the other line of argument that you weren't allowed was the necessity uh, arguments, 
um, which when I read them made entire sense from your perspective. Um, and if I can just go over it real quickly. Um, so the necessity defense is that you defend what you did based on your belief that uh, you were making a positive choice between two evils. That, you know, um, defense, nu nuclear arms are a defensive position. They protect us. But the further evil is they, they're going to kill all of us and there'll be no more human humanity in the world. So you pick the lesser of two evils. And they're not defensive. And they're not defensive, right. They're offensive. I guess, right. And, and, and read Daniel Ellsberg's um, Doomsday Machine if you want to, uh, anyone out there who wants to uh, get, get more information and, and argument about that. The, the second necessity defense is that um, this was a reasonable action, reasonable action considering the circumstances. Not an unreasonable action, reasonable. Mm -hmm. And that you believe that. Mm -hmm. um, that you believe this action would make a difference in whatever it is you want, the outcome that you want, and the belief that there were no legal alternatives. Now, all those seem relevant to plowshares uh, activities and the Kings Bay plowshares activity, but you weren't able to make that. That must have been quite frustrating. For, yes, it, well, it, except that we knew in, it, we, we knew in advance basically that the courts had overruled this repeatedly over their years. It's a way of boxing plowshares actions out. So you're not going to get an international law defense. That would be, that, that would, if it was an international law defense, I think we would win outright. And the courts have managed to knock that out. The necessity defense, likewise, if they allow you to make the, the arguments on that basis, they run a much higher ch chance of, of bringing the jury aboard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and, and this, we're talking about U.S. courts. Um, plowshares have done actions in other places in the world and have not been convicted. Is that right? I Correct. Mean, yes. Yeah. So this is a particular aspect of, of uh, U.S. courts uh, in, in, in um, these kinds of protests against U.S. military. Federal court. In, in, in the federal court, yeah. You know, yeah. it's interesting, by the way, because we did a lot of, nothing akin to the jeopardy of a plowshares action. But over the years, um, if you look at the Witness Against Torture, which all of us sort of participated in that mm -hmm. group, and we were protesting constantly against the torture of prisoners, which among other things is a war crime. Um, and particularly the, the torture against the prisoners in Guantanamo. Mm -hmm. and, and more generally, and generally at generally, Bagram yeah. Air Force Base also, there were a whole series, a slew of sites, and black sites around the world, Poland, um, other places. Um, and I think all the times that we went to court, we were, on the one hand, shut down. On the other hand, we were getting extraordinarily light sentences because I even feel that the judges at that time themselves were sympathetic to us. Mm. They, was th they were thinking that we were good and decent people, but, we'd, but you know, the degree of their own, I don't know the, the degree of their own participation in empire, but people have basically accepted that. Listen, we're saying to the world again, we said it back during the Herbert Walker Bush administration, um, full spectrum dominance, air, sea, space, um, air, sea, space, and land. Uh, we want full spectrum dominance over the planet. Th this is the language of an empire. It's so blatant and that the American people have not rejected it, that it's not been, it's not been a, a news media issue. They must like it. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, that, that that kind of fits in with who we our cowboy attitude. It's like take over the range. 
Exceptionalism, U.S. exceptionalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, what you were able to say and what you weren't. You mentioned the GoPro cameras that you brought on the base, and I hear they were, I mean, they were very dark. You can't quite see, but you can make out what was going on. Uh, what other evidence did you want to bring up that you, that you couldn't? I'm sorry. Um, yeah. What is the question? What yeah, we what brought they, onto the base, what, or what you brought onto the base in order to, um, in order to let the world know that you were there for peaceable reasons? And they absolutely cut off any any talk about the content of the Doomsday Machine. Totally cut that off. This is Daniel Daniel Ellsberg's book. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 The difference between how the defense presented footage and how the prosecution presented footage was really stunning. Yeah. Can you describe that? Well, we tried to show that we were praying, that our intentions were pacifist, that we were there to um, not hide what we did, that we were not going to flee hmm. the scene. And prosecution presented it all as they were littering, <laughs> you know, littering is they're grasping at straws in terms of prioritizing what's at stake here. And they made us look like we were um, violent and that we were not um, faith-based and that we were quite destructive. And those arguments, obviously, they resonated in the jury. Those, yep. those are the ones the jurors went in. That's the kind of thing our culture can relate to, not the, subtle st other, the mm. other subtle stuff. Mm -hmm. It yeah. is possible that the thing that the court that the jurors related to most is that uh, one of the prosecuting attorneys went up and in in extraordinary heat um, he is arguing that they came down here to our state yes. they came down south from you know, down south to our state in order in order to do this and uh, and thankfully at one point one of our I didn't th I wouldn't have thought to have done it but one of our lawyers did object. But he had been able to go on for a long time. Um, We're still to fighting the civil war. Recreate the civil war. <laughs> it, it it sounds like a Confederate argument. It's like it's our it's our place. It's our state, and we have every right to our slaves and and whatever. Um, yeah, and 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 the fact that the time is important. It's not you you don't get from reading. It's like how long the prosecuting attorney went on, and the degree to which he, and I mean that's what I wanted to hear from you because you were there, and it's that time given. Um, that is going to make the argument valid to the jury or effective for the jury. I mean, is that true? Is that, I mean, he was given, was the prosecuting attorney given the time that your attorneys were not? He took the closing argument, the um, prosecution took more time than the defense did with. Was it significantly more or it was just more? Stephanie sp spoke for less time than uh, Greg prosecutor the prosecutor um and, and the prosecutor i mean we've already got the sense he, he was pretty effective in his in his arguments uh was he was he vociferous was he did he bang the table is there any way we can get a sense of his his act oh yes the outrage and he even um had a pleading tears in his voice at one point wow he also was added to the legal team sort of just prior to the trial he is understood to be um, what we were initially told that he's uh, very bright and not very nice. <laughs> How old was he? Is he? Oh, I don't know. He must have been in his forties, I think. Okay, all right. And it's Greg. What do you know? I don't remember. Gol Gol Golgani. Golgani. All right. 
Okay, we can we can of course look that up. You were you were there sitting in the courtroom. Uh, they're judging you for how you're going to spend your next twenty years, or, or whatever. Um, how did? No, how, they're not allowed to think about the punishment. Okay, all right. Um, but you were there, and I'm sure you were considering that. Uh, what what were you feeling over the three days? I mean, was it a? Did your feelings go up and down, in and out? Uh, hope, hopeful, not hopeful. Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> um, what? Um, it was exhausting. Yeah, I can see you're both exhausted. Uh, we've we've talked before, and you've come in with kind of an energy that now you seem <sighs> it's exhausting. Anything else? It's like running a marathon. What did you you tell, say? The question again. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm wondering. Um, you know, wh where you were emotionally as you were sitting there, listening to all this, you know, wanting to say something, wanting your lawyers to do more. I mean, was is frustration a, uh, a, a, a an emotion? There was a lot of emotion going back and forth prior to the trial. When I say we got the, the sort of three days beforehand when we finally understood what the trial was going to look like, prior to that, there was a battle going on between our lawyers and the prosecution. And we wanted to see how the uh, judge would rule on this. And that was a time of sort of growing anxiety because you didn't know what the trial was going to look like. And then when are we going to see what the judge finally says the rules are? And when we got them, we sort of gobbled them up and tried to share them with each other, had meetings about them. So all of that was high energy. I will say uh, for myself that um, I am... The pattern evolved and continues for me to this day, which I, um, that I wake up about between four o'clock and five o'clock in the morning, mm. and I am not, that I, if I have anxieties, the anxieties subside and I think kind of clearly. It's really interesting that I've been, this is going on until this morning, um, that I cry in the process and I am not, I'm not whimpering, my eyes simply water over. And, and I am just um, thinking about the issues and what we've done and what's next. Um, and I don't see it as bad. Actually, it's the first time I'm ever um, thinking that, I have, that it's, it's sort of spiritual growth. Um, Can you say more about that? About the, the growth? Where, where do you think that growth is going? What is it? You know, I prayed. I, I had, I, anyone who ever asked me about how I felt beforehand, I asked every one of my friends, Anthony, too, probably, um, that I just hope that I, can, that I can keep my poise before the jury, before the jury, before the court. And there was a time at, a, at another hearing where I allowed the prosecutor to get under my skin. Um, and I wanted to be beyond that. Um, and sort of as it turned out in terms of testimony and then a surprise closing statement that I didn't think I was going to make um, until the, the I made a, a, a closing statement that I wrote out mm -hmm. in the early morning hours before we went back to trial. And so in a certain way, this was a, um, a blessing granted me to be able to kind of reason out loud, you know, in front of the jury. Can you give us a sense of some of the things that you said in that final statement? Yeah, the main thing is I, the uh, trying to put into perspective uh, the notion that we had, you know, damaged property, the um, massive damage of property. And everything that we damaged was really quite inconsequential. And at one point, there was video footage of Claire Grady who walks onto the scene where others have pulled down these uh, plastic 
lights, the plastic lettering. Mm -hmm. And and I was able to, and she says, this looks like vandalism. And she herself <laughs> is, is troubled by it. Right. Um, and I'm thinking, yes, it's exactly, it's, it, what I, ultimately what I said is what we wanted it to look like was the outrage of God. Because when there, there's a the fo film footage where you see all these letters, this, this, um, this broken alphabet uh, on the grass, and um, you have seen prior to that people taking it apart, and then there's this, this scene where you just see the aftermath of it. And, and I thought it was a very good expression of what the outrage of God was and went through what a sacramental action is. Um, so this was a, a visible sim symbol of a invisible reality, the outrage of God. And every sacrament is also a blessing, and that blessing, we hope, was the mitigation of the anger of God. And that's what we went to the base for. Yep, yep. So. And, and, and so, so some, some of this was shown in the, to the jury, some mm -hmm. of this video. A lot of the tearing down of the sign was shown. Of that. There was quite a difference between the two GoPros. And for, I just want to say that the very first time I heard and understood about plowshares, the first lesson, number one lesson is, it's about self-disarmament. And I have experienced quite a, a, a difference in my behavior since participating in this process. But what I want to say about the GoPro footage was, you know, one was one of acting and, you know, actively taking down this sign, strategic weapons facility. And the other GoPro was much more measured and much more, you know, they were at the bunkers where the nuclear warheads are kept. And it was, you know, the two tones were quite different, but the two tones were beautiful in terms of expressing, you know, our, our great petition to God to stop this mm. madness and our outrage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, film can be viewed, I teach film, and I know my students see one piece of film, they see it very differently, mm -hmm. depending mm -hmm. on their worldview and oh, their, yes. their beliefs and their politics. And, um, you know, I, you, you see it very clearly that way. Um, and it, it is, you can see this online. Um, is, is, the, is the video available? I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it should be. It should be. All right. Um, you, you are at the tipping point of Plowshares' actions that have been going on for decades um, of um, actions ag against mil militarism. Um, and, and that those actions have changed and morphed and, and, and you, you, you now have shown kind of maybe a, a new version of that, of that plowshares uh, actions. Do you see more plowshares actions coming down the pike? Um, and, yes. and do you see how your particular approach has maybe changed or shown what you should do or what you shouldn't do? Yes. And what, what is that? What, what lessons have been learned? Well, I think we, it's very clear that entering into evidence, um, we really need to think carefully about that. And f uh, photos, banners of Hiroshima and the dead bodies really needs to be included in the next action. How do you get along that done? With, yeah. Oh, you can have banners made. Along yeah. with any um, government statistics, their own numbers and figures of their weapons systems. Um, I'm sort of not a answering your question. I just want to have Martha... Um, Remember, Martha showed a picture of the decimation of Hiroshima 
to one of our lawyers. And, and so, and this is one of our, this is, this is a, an informed person, she, she, super bright. And what was her response? She turned away and she teared up and she said, my God, I can't look at that. No. She not, she'd never seen it before. I mean, the, the weapons are hidden in plain sight. If the, if the American people have not seen the pictures of the decimation of Hiroshima, um, yeah. problematic. Yeah. But the GoPros, I, you know, that was a first for the Plowshares' actions, and it was certainly used against us. Um, it and, sounds like it was. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and we were ambivalent about the usage prior to the action. Um, but I believe that every action precipitates you know, more of a knowledge base for the next one. So, so something is learned, and we may not know at this point what was learned uh, until the next plowshares action happens, and there will be more, do you believe? Yes. I would imagine so. It's been almost 40 years that they've been going on. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But you two, I, I, I mean, I hate to, to sound like gross about this, but you two may not be able to take part in that. Um, have you thought about, you know, the, the sentencing that's coming up? Um, I mean, this must be on your mind. If you want to share it, fine. If you don't, you know. I mean, what if the, the, the sentencing goes against you? It's the agony in the garden. We wake up at 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you tear over. But are your, your tears are not anxiety. They're, um, they're tears of faith. And I don't sense that they're tears of fear. No. What are they? I, it's a it's a mystery to me. I don't even know I I don't even know why I'm crying. Except that sometimes I know why I'm crying because things occur to me that are, um, oh I don't know. Poignant. Um, I'm even before the uh, plowshares. I mean, I guess I was in the process, um, but I had asked this about Yemen. About we had a friend who was at trial once, and he. He's talking about facts and when facts become real, and it was a there was a the so when something actually hurts you, when something takes your heart, that's real. So Americans are we're, we're absolutely numb to war. We've been at war for how many years now, and what good has it done? Um, yeah, war. What is it good for? It's good for the elite. <laughs> absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, uh, it's good enough for a certain segment. But for that to become, so my, there was a period of time where my prayers were that I wanted this to become real. I did not want to be distant from it. What is it like, what does it mean that 85,000 uh, children um, have lost their lives since the, um, the war t in Yemen? Yeah. Um, yeah. Unfathomable. It's un unbelievable. Yeah, and if you start to, if it, so if it becomes real to you, um, then, you know, the nuclear winter becomes real to you, the, the use of, and the fact that we have put everything on hold, um, all diplomacy is on hold if different nations are holding guns to one another's heads. Everything is on hold. You cannot possibly love each other, which is why Pope Francis' statement was so um, meaningful. Yeah. I mean, especially in the context now of where our country is now with the president that we have now, it becomes even more dire that we wake up to, what, to what's going on. My agony is related to uh, grieving, grieving over the loss, the loss of life, what's happening to the environment. 
Um, but there's also an element of standing in a place of expressing one's free will in alignment with God's will. And I think that when I'm in that place of agony and pain, it's also a place of intense joy. I've heard that from Catholic workers, um, this this agony that's both kind of like really scary and awful and and joyful at the same time. Yeah, you uh, have to the um, yeah, yeah. If you were down at our trial, there were there had to be a hundred people there. Um, the who, were vast, they? who were they? The vast majority they were, they were friends from from uh, you know the Midwest from. Uh, California, from New Mexico, um, from all along the eastern seaboard. Um, so it was a spattering of the, you know, of the American population of the of the peace yeah. movement of the uh, right. peacemakers. They're, yeah. they're, they're there to support you and, and be yes. with you. I guess. And that was frankly joyous. I mean, they're people that you know of by email. You've met them once or twice or three times. Um, and to see them all come together. Um, and paying very careful attention, um, we were very well tended to. It, it, it occurs to me that um, you were there for three days. That means you were there for three nights, two nights. Did, did, did people come and speak with you? Um, we were there for two weeks. For two weeks. And, and were you meeting, besides doing the legal work, were you meeting with people and talking to them? And I mean, Somewhat, but we protected our time and space in preparation for the trial. For the trial, right. I, I totally understand that. But yeah. post-trial... No one came to the house. It was a very strange, surreal feeling for me. Why? The first what? The, the first trial. Post-trial, the house became quite quiet. And for me, it felt like after the crucifixion, people just went into themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, this machine had its way, and things, things became quiet. Oh, I don't think that's fair, though. <laughs> you may have felt that, that you may have experienced that way, but really, people had to get. People came down and spent several days, um, long distance from their homes and jobs and families, and um, and then when the trial was over, you know, people said their goodbyes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, th people things things did reduce pretty quickly, but you, I can't. You couldn't blame that on the yeah, logistics. I, I think to some extent um, we. Um, well, they, these people who are your, who are your friends and supporters—they want to take care of you. I think to yeah. some extent. I mean, it's like any family. You want to, you, you want when someone's hurting, you want to take care of them, even though we're all hurting. Um, but then at some point, it's like you got to take care of yourself, all right? And that's maybe what that quiet moment was. It's mm -hmm, like as individuals, mm -hmm. we're all dealing with. It. Can I can I just say one thing? And and uh, I, I don't know if this is going to resonate or not. But I teach a film class, and I just showed my students Night and Fog, a René uh, film on the Holocaust. And it's made in the, soon after the war, soon after the, the, all those bodies were found there. And, um, and one of the questions that came up in their papers, which also comes up in the film, um, was who's responsible? I mean, it was asked then who's responsible. Um, and of course, the capos and the officers said, well, we're not responsible for following orders. Um, and the villagers, you know, they said they were not responsible. And then I asked the students, contemporary, you know, they're in my class, are you responsible? Some of them said, 
Yeah, we are. So how are you responsible? Well, because if we don't do something about it, if we don't, you know, fight against this evil that's in our world, then we're, we're responsible for what happened in the past. We're still responsible because it's resonating now. And then I ask, who's not responsible? Who is not? And I investigated that and I kind of thought about it. And I thought, you two, you're not responsible because you are living a life of sacrifice. I mean, you are, you are, you're not facts, you're reality. I don't see you two as responsible because you're doing something. Can you comment on that? Well, it's my sense of complicity in the sin that drives me to respond and act accordingly. Right. So you're still complicit? Yes. Carmen, any ideas? Oh, I think feel? that was a nice response from Martha. Yeah. Because I don't have that sense of being... We also we lived in an, in an enhanced environment where our you know, the way we survive is by begging money and by um, feeding beggars. <laughs> and so it's a I mean it's a beautiful place to be if you want to practice the works of mercy. The, the Catholic workers it's almost packaged for you, mm-hmm. and and then all of the. All the writing, all the all the theory of the Catholic worker, uh, a deeper embrace of a faith life, all of that is made simple, in a way, being here. So. So the Catholic worker is serving you. And we, you're serving it. We come. We all come with need. Mm-hmm. True. I think that's. Yeah. that's I think I think we all, I think we all have need, but we don't always do anything about it. Mm. Um, you you two are, and Catholic workers are. Anthony is right. You're doing something. I'm very. You. I'm very uncomfortable with this heroism. Okay. And this adoration. But it happens. It happens because we want to get ourselves off the hook and out of the hot seat. It's it's our innate response yep. again to shy away mm-hmm. from the evil. And I participate in these actions and acts as a means of showing everyone that all of us are capable and all of us need to do what we can. Okay. Looking at the other, it's a, again, it's something that's very active in my mind of late. It does have to do with that general population that is sleepwalking toward Armageddon, as one article put it. Um, but there are so many very decent people. So it's been, you know, since the, the American people have not really had a, a raise uh, since the 1970s. And I'm wondering what it is doing in terms of control over society. I got family members and who are uh, constantly working, um, skilled labor even, and, and their lives are completely taken over by their jobs. At this point, almost all families have... Uh, both partners working. Um, so the American people are really being utilized. And some of them, I guess what, I, what I'm touched by is that so many of them do it so graciously. So many of them take care of their own families. Um, and so many of them try to make time to have some fun, to make this life um, uh, more enjoyable. But what we're losing is making this life more meaningful. We're, lo- we're losing that because people are, are so pushed up against the wall. 
and they can put a good faith on th face on things, but I just feel like it's a it's a disintegrating culture. So I have very divided feelings about about the goodness of people and the blindness of the very same people. Debtors society. Yeah. We're speaking with Martha Hennessy and Carmen Trotta of both Catholic workers. We're at the Mary House in the library. Yeah, we're not at a bar like the regular bar crawl <laughs> sessions. So. Right, so this is... this is It's a little more somber than the regular... It is, and, and the next time we do this with you two, we'll be at a bar. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, can I can I say one more question? Where where is the um, when is the sentencing and uh, do we have an anticipation about that about um, what the, what the sentencing is going to be? Do you, do you Six, have any sense? Sixty to ninety days. Mm -hmm. um, we will have a sentencing hearing. We will all be processed in, individually from each other, not as a group. And prosecution is seeking eighteen to twenty four months for uh, amount of time in prison okay. and it's just all part of the waiting game we have our lives have been put on hold waiting okay and and uh, if people want to contact you they can do it through uh, Mary House and um, and uh, and the Kings Bay Plowshares the Kings website. Bay Plowshares website of course King Kings Bay Plowshares 7, seven dot org dot org and and um, and um, contribute contribute mm -hmm. I mean there's we we've we've done a little bit and we'll 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 do some more thank you again for speaking with us. Thank, Thank you, you, Alan. Uh, it's, it's, it's great <laughs> spending moments with you. <laughs> Thank you. Anthony Donovan, Catholic worker, peace activist, and member of Witness Against Torture, then spoke about his experience of watching the trial. Yeah, I was honored to sit there, and it was uh, really tough to sit there. And you were you were there all three days? Uh, it was four days, wasn't it? Four days. Four, four days. Four long days, yeah. Yes, sure. Outside beforehand, we had lots of... Uh, meetings in the evenings, we had prayers in the morning, uh, we had communal meals at lunch, a great community from around the country, from Nova Scotia to Texas to California, uh, experts, um, just people. One young woman from Nova Scotia came down just out of the blue when she first heard about this trial. She said she was, uh, she's in her early 20s, she said she was going to explode. She couldn't take no one talking about this subject. And so she had, she felt compelled to come down. Uh, Didn't know the, uh, these wonderful seven felt really good that they can get a few words out about. But I was like, oh my God, you know, this jury would know almost nothing. Uh, go to the, the prosecution, his last, you know. Cause this is he, Greg. Yeah, this Greg, yeah. Um, just the end, because he did get to say... Everything that uh, in my stomach, I'm saying, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And, uh, yeah, and he made sure in his closing statement that with their GoPro camera, right, you, you work in film. And he really used this film to, you know, they kept showing uh, Patrick with his hammer, with his GoPro, slamming on these letters and knocking these letters, and he kept showing that. And you could hear the crunch. They turned it up real loud. So the whole... It, it was uh, it was really loud and it's grinding and you see destruction and he turns to the jurors and said now Martin Luther King do you think he would ever do something like this you know basically you know Martin Luther King and he, he was a man of peace and 
just and yes, he did refer to these people coming down to their area. And what and when when he was saying that, what were you feeling? I was feeling that this is uh, the earth we're talking about. This is our planet we're talking about. This is all people. These people are are here for everyone. You on the jury and for them to make that, for him to make that. But there's no, you know, he makes the final statement, that's it. The jury goes into there. And he said every, every other, everything else he said, you know, uh, he kept, you know, they kept hammering in. Now, look, you know Catholics, they don't, they don't do this kind of thing. And, you know, we know how to make change in this world. You go to the vote, you vote, you, you elect people, you uh, carry signs, you're allowed to protest in our country. You can have a sign outside the gate. He kept telling these people, you don't have to go smashing things and show the GoPro smash, bang. So it really is, uh, so yeah, it was kind of a slam dunk uh, for these people. Uh, you know, and, and it, it, to me, it was uh, very disheartening. Yeah, I, I, you know, sitting there with a much broader scope and seeing it narrow down before you uh, was really tough. So I was squirming. But I, I, would, I would go right into prayer, my form of prayer, where I just... And I started um, beaming this prayer towards the everyone in the room, into the room. I just was like, I need to fill this room up with anything I can from my heart and uh that's what i was focusing on so that last bit um yeah it didn't seem to have worked uh well you know i don't know what works i i i ran into the prosecutor greg and maybe he doesn't want this out there he i'm sure he doesn't but i ran into him the next day and i went up to him and I. where was this Outside the courtroom, I was escorting uh, Martha to. Uh, she was getting. Uh, she needed to go to parole. Post verdict interview. Yeah. So I was outside waiting for her, and he pops out with the with the other prosecutor, and I said, "Well, you guys really, you guys did uh, quite a job." I said, um, "Listen, when the uh, treaty on the not uh, on the uh, prohibition of nuclear weapons becomes international law. I want you on our side, is what I said to him. Yeah. You know, we, we talked a bit, and uh, that we shook hands. Smile. He was beaming. I uh, think you know the Greg was uh, full of. He, he hey come on he won this case and he also confided and and very openly and and uh, very humanly he said you know I learned a lot. I've been reading a lot about this. It really opened my eyes. And he said his wife, who he brought to the trial, because he knew, he knew his what he was going to say, and he knew there's going to be no recourse, no talk back, no chance. To, so he was showing off to his wife and his daughter. Yeah, sure, and showing off to the judge and, and to the jurors, absolutely, and, right. and to the press that was there, absolutely. And he did a magnificent job uh, if you live in that narrow of a world. But So he confided to me that his wife went home that night and had trouble sleeping because she was thinking about what... What he had done. What, not what he had done, but what was... He saw some of the closing statements, what was said. So he led me to believe that she was thinking about things too. So when you say it was they who won, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I know my... Uh, it, it's devastating uh, to, to, to get this verdict, but... Uh, each one of those jurors also hopefully will go back and read some of them. Maybe someone will look at this treaty that was just barely mentioned, uh, nothing of the content. But So we don't know. 
Let's say goodbye with a smile, dear, just for a while, dear, we must part. Don't let this parting upset you, I'll not forget you, sweetheart. We'll meet again, don't know where. Don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day.